welcome to Duck Blind. I'm Jill Schroeder, and this is our podcast from Grey Duck Gallery here in Austin, Texas. Today I'll be chatting with local artist Renee Lai. Her exhibition, In the Water You Become, runs through February 19th. Hi, Renee. Hi, Jill. How you doing? Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. So, so let's talk about your show. Water and identity loom large in your new exhibition. How did the show's concept get started? Yeah, so I've been a swimmer for my whole life. Like, you know, swimming through middle school, high school, swam, like just club in college. And then when I came back to Austin, I joined the Longhorn Aquatic Swim Team, the master swim team. So that's for anyone who's 18 and up all the way until you die. You fall under the master's (laughs) category to, you know, continue my love of the sport and continue swimming. So being in the water and and thinking about the the transformation that can occur when you're in the water is something that I do on a weekly basis. So when I submerge myself in the water, you know, you really feel like you enter a different state of mind. Um, A lot of the sounds um, get muted, you know, you can't hear as much the waters in your ears. Um, they're muted, they're quieted. So you can still hear some things. There's, uh, extra attention to the way that you move, the way that you hold yourself, you know, the way that your head position is that all affects the way your body sits in the water. Hmm. Um, so there's a lot of heightened sensitivity with movement, um, and also a change in headspace that I think can relate to my, drawing and painting practice with, you know, attention to how the the body touches the canvas. So that is how water in general is a thing that I think about a lot. Um, It's also, you know, this in-between space, like your face is under the water, but then you turn your head a little bit and then you can breathe your face is above the water, but it's really, you know, only a matter of several inches. Um, So you're just hovering right between like submersion, which, you know, can be death, right? Drowning. And then air, you know, alive. And then water is also so much a demarcation of space. Um, You know, whether it's a river demarcating different parts of the town or, um, you know, the Rio Grande demarcates the border of Texas. Um, So water, oceans, rivers, they really work to section things off a lot of times in maps. And so in my show, In the Water You Become, you're you're just submerging yourself into this unknown gray space. And then in terms of identity, I started, you know, I was thinking about identity when I made a trip to New York City after we got that first vaccine shot and we thought everything was glorious and we were free to socialize again. Um, and so I thought I would go back to New York, see some friends, see some art. Um, and then my parents reminded me to be careful because of that rise in um, Asian American hatred, right? That came along or was heightened with COVID, you know, the China flu and right. all of that type of terminology. And so when I was packing for the trip, I packed a big hat, I packed long sleeves, I packed sunglasses, and I was thinking about ways that people could identify my body. So, you know, the hat to cover up the hair, the sleeves to cover up, you know, the skin color, the sunglasses to cover up the eyes. And, you know, thinking about that sort of covering or obscurity and maybe ultimately how futile all of that really is, you know, got me started to, to make this body of works 
in my mind, I call them the swimmers, but I know that's not the actual title. Of the right, word. right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's essentially a suite of drawings in which I'm laying on the paper and holding these swimming poses from butterfly, which is my favorite stroke. And I wanted to maintain the tension in my body that you feel when you're swimming. It's not a passive action. You're still putting a lot of explosive force through the water to sort of hurl yourself through this element. Um, so even though I'm laying on the water, I still had that, that energy, you know, in my muscles. So my muscles are tightened. I'm like sweating into the paper, which, and then, which appears, yes, appears on yes, the paper. which yeah. embarrassingly appears. <laughs> um, and then I had a friend trace me as I was laying there. Um, and then after that, I used um, this type of sumi ink to fill in my body. And so the full tracing of my shape is there, but the figures end up looking very anonymous. They don't particularly register in terms of gender. They don't look particularly female or male. Um, And so even though it's so explicitly me, they don't necessarily read as such. And then they're floating in all these, um, you know, the sort of like black, hazy, watery substrate. And then they ended up looking, which really surprised me, they ended up almost looking like deities or something. They had a real, yeah, they had a real power when I finished. I was worried when I was, you know, doing them, you know, it's a relatively simple process to execute once you have the idea and you've persuaded a friend to trace you. (laughs) I was worried that they wouldn't, you know, be enough, uh, but they really held the page and became some sort of powerful, calm, meditative, alive, unalive series of talismans or something like that, Mm -hmm. um, that I really didn't expect. Yeah, they're monumental. I mean, they're, yeah, they take up the whole front area in a powerful way. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I originally thought, wow, my body's a lot smaller than I thought it is. <laughs> I guess I really am a short person. And then once I felt it in and gave them, you know, I was like, dang, now I look a lot bigger. That's more like <laughs> so there's a lot of works on paper and then there's a couple of paintings, but there's also some video work and um, that's new for you, right? Mm -hmm, I mean, that's a new mm -hmm. medium. I'm wondering if you can kind of tell people about how you started to use the medium and has it changed your work since you started using that? Yeah. So for a long time, I was a a never video person. (laughs) I mean, I would go to shows and I'd be like, I would see video and then my eyes would glaze over and I would just walk right past I know it's embarrassing to admit Um, (laughs) because there's something about knowing you have to commit the time to like sit there and watch the video, you know, with a painting, you can see everything you're getting into pretty much right away. And then it's up to you whether or not you want to linger. But with a video, you really have to like sit there for like 10 minutes, 20 minutes. You don't even know sometimes. (laughs) Um, But at the end of my last show here that we did together, a study of fences. I had a residency at the line hotel, um, through big medium. Um, and I was feeling a little burnt out just from the big push of painting for the last show. And so the last thing I wanted to do was paint, um, in the line hotel, they have this beautiful infinity pool that overlooks lady bird Lake. And it's one of those pools that 
Oh yeah. The infinity pool. So it doesn't look like it has an edge to it. Mm -hmm. And I told my friend Rosa Nussbaum, who is a video artist and the person who I always bounce my art ideas off of. I was like, you know, all I want to do is lay in the pool. It's this heated pool in the winter and swim. I don't want to do any painting. And she was like, well, yeah, you should just make a video about doing that. And I thought, that's a great idea. (laughs) I don't have to paint. I can just swim in this heated pool. No one's using it because it's winter, even though it's heated. I mean, there's steam coming off of it. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, And I had to do these open studio hours. And this was still during the height of COVID. So, you know, it's pretty, pretty awkward with personal space. Mm -hmm. Um, So for my open studio hours, I just... I set them really early and then I had a friend, um, you know, stand behind the tripod and just tell me when I was in and out of the camera frame and I just swam back and forth, back and forth across this pool. Um, and then I interspersed it with some shots of the sky and, you know, really thinking about swimming, crossing the sky, swimming across the sky, which is a work that we didn't end up putting it in the show, but that was, but that's the original or or the origins for the other two videos that are in the show. Yeah. That's the origin story for how I got into video work. (laughs) And so once I did that, I was like, well, let's just continue. And so actually the drawing where I'm laying on the paper and swimming through the graphite, I had the idea for that at the line residency, which was Hmm. February of 2021. I think, yeah, Yeah, 2021. Um, And I drew like the very beginning, some of the, you know, sort of lane markers um, on that paper. I drew like half of them in the residency and then I came home and then maybe did the rest of them. And then I, and then it took me until August to actually know what I wanted to do with it and to figure out how to do this setup to film aerially. Yeah, all the motions of swimming and, you know, really showing the traces of my strokes. The strokes, yeah. yeah. And there's three different strokes in that video, or on the drawing, too, I mm-hmm, guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is also a continuation from my thinking from the last show, which was full of a lot of lines, repetitive lines. Yes. Um, and my interest in the, you know, that really sensitive touch, you know, how that pencil or the graphite responds to the, changing tooth of the canvas, you know, each of those lines in my prior show is a trace of my, my hand. And so this is also a trace of my hand, but also the rest of me too, my entire body. Right. Um, so kind of the same thing, but on a much larger scale. Um, and so there's some, I start out with brush stroke and it was surprisingly hard to do the strokes without the water underneath you. I would imagine. At certain points, my body just forgot what it was doing because it was so awkward to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes in the video, my body just like spazzes out. Like <laughs> I'm like doing something and then I'm like, what, what is this? And then I like finish in this weird way. And so there's some brush stroke and there's some freestyle and there's some butterfly at the end. Um, but it was also a thing where I was just like sweating profusely. <laughs> Um, like holding my legs up and like, you know, well, it is August. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Figuring out what I was doing. Um, and so that one was the, that one came after the crossing the sky work and it was a very easy edit because I 
once I, I mean, it took me like a week of um, climbing up and down on a stool and swearing to get the video position correctly, but I just did it in one time. One take, so, right. One take. Mm-hmm. So I just pressed record, did my thing, climbed back out, stopped the um, take, and then just cut the parts where I was climbing on and off the stool. And then that led me to my big video work, my finale, the my real, yeah, right, know, the most yes. recent baby of the mm-hmm. show, my Asian and my American. And that one, you know, again, like working with Rosa had really helped me. So in between doing this work and then my Asian and my American, I had a show, a collaborative show at the Elizabeth Ney with Rosa Nussbaum. And we made a big video work for that one, which was projected onto a canvas on which I had painted a border. And so the video projected right into the border. And we had filmed that very fluidly together just with a handheld video camera um, without, I mean, we did some planning, but not too much planning. And it was just fun. And it she made it seem really easy and approachable. Um, and for that video, I did a voiceover. And I also did some a tiny bit of humming in that video, which made it into the final cut. So for this video, you know, that helped me think about, yeah, just using voiceovers, what was possible. I had to fake in some noise to cover up traffic noise or wind noise and things like that. And because I had heard Rosa talk about it, I knew that it was possible. And then I just leaned into the humming. And so this video has a much larger sung component. And I, I guess we should mention that your painting in the same room of the video is dragged into Ladybird Lake and is, is floating and swimming with you in the video also, which I find really compelling. Yes, yes. That one I had the idea to um, do when I was on another residency in um, Maine at the Monson Art Center. Um, so that painting is a doubled silhouette of myself because four giant drawings of myself isn't enough. I thought, <laughs> you know, I really need a big painting with two of myself. <laughs> um, and the silhouettes are doubled so that the heads and the shoulders overlay each other. They intersect. And when I was making this painting, and to this day, I thought, you know, how do these figures sit in relation to one another? Because usually something needs to be on top, something needs to be on bottom, on the bottom, when you think about things spatially. And I was like, is one of these versions of myself, like, subsuming the other version? You know, which version is on top when you think about tectonic plates, right? They either, like, push up into mountains or, like, one goes under the other. But there's Mm -hmm. always, there's something happening where those things come together. And I was like, are these two figures underneath the water? Are they floating on the surface of the water? It's very ambiguous in the painting. And I mean, I honestly still don't know, but that, you know, led me to the idea of taking the whole painting and floating it in the river and then swimming around it on top of it, dragging it just to kind of play and further explore some of these questions that I had about how things sat spatially. It's still very unresolved. I mean, it's unresolved to me, but I think that's okay. That's the beauty of it. Oh, yeah. And and I feel like those two in the same space is just like a beautiful, like, stopping point for the show. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I didn't know what would happen to the painting after it after had you been, brought it into the water. Yeah, <laughs> after it had been like soaked in ladybird lake, I did it off of the Redbud Isle dog park, and so dogs swim there too, and you know they like pee over there. So <laughs> I don't even know what is in that painting, <laughs> but I just like you know by the time I was done filming. Um, and my friend Ann Fung helped me film it. Um, it was just like this crumpled, sodden mess that I just like heaved into the car. <laughs> and then I like took it out of the car and then I just spread it out on the driveway in late July, early August. And I was like, all right, well, we'll see what happens. Um, and because summer in Texas, you know, is dry a couple hours later. And mm. I was like, all right, still looks okay. Paint's still on there. Yeah, the front is perfectly beautiful yeah. painting. You can tell a little bit on the back, though. Yeah, on the back, there's, like, some uh, leaf stain, like, leaves that are adhered to there. Yes. Um, before we go, I just wanted to talk to you about the risograph that's in the show. Um, and there's an essay in that book called God's Land. And I also want to mention that this essay will be um, on glass tire probably by the time this podcast comes out. So you, you all should check out um, Renee's essay on Glass Tire. But I was just hoping you could talk a little bit about the essay and the images. and Yeah, so the essay God's Land was written about the same time that I was actually writing the script for the audio for the Elizabeth Nay show, which was about this time a year ago. So I went on that residency in Monson Arts Center in Maine in November of 2021, um, a month before my wedding. And then by January, I was recovering from the wedding and recovering. Yeah, just like, you know, the wedding, the upheaval of all of that. And the easiest thing for me to do practice wise was write mm -hmm. um, because it was really quick. I could just write in like burst of a half hour or so, you know, I didn't need to worry about like clearing out studio space or anything like that. And I had a lot of thoughts that stayed with me after the residency, but you know, because I like just had a couple weeks basically between that and the wedding, I really didn't have time to work out, you know, things in painting. So writing just became a really quick way for me to work on the things that I had been thinking about. Um, I also did a lot of reading at that residency. I do a lot of reading in general, but at the, re you know, when you go on residency, it's just you in an empty room um, and nothing else, which is great, but also, you know, it, you sort of like sink into yourself in a very deep way that you really don't do regularly because you don't mm -hmm. have like things to come home to or things to do. And so just ideas that had been bubbling in the back of my mind that I hadn't really had time to examine just really kind of welled up out of me. And it, that essay came pretty quickly over the course of January, February. And at the same time, I wrote the Elizabeth Nay essay when I was stuck on, you know, the God's Land essay, or sorry, this, the audio script, the voiceover. Okay. So I worked on those essays, yeah, in conjunction. Yeah. And it was really an exploration of my time in Maine topically, um, but also about, you know, feeling welcomed, feeling not welcomed, or, you know, I was felt, I felt very welcome over there in Maine at Monson, just to clarify. Yeah. Um, 
but you know, you go into it feeling like you don't know what to expect. You know, I've never been to rural Maine and I wasn't sure, you know, in such a, what I thought think is a very Republican area with all of the, yeah, the anti-Asian rhetoric and all of that. I really wasn't sure what to expect when I was there. And I was so thoroughly welcomed. You know, I really got to see sort of these, you know, the economically depressed parts of Maine that, you know, I just, I live in Austin where we have a booming tech sector. Um, I mean, luckily and unluckily, we have a booming tech sector. <laughs> <laughs> but it was my first time to like really spend time in like that rural country area. Um, and so it's about my experience doing that. Um, the drawings are all from the residency. So I made that, the painting, my Asian and my American, or at least I made a good chunk of it at that residency. And then I made a lot of, yeah, pretty much all of the drawings in the book at the, also at the Monson Arts Center residency. It was productive. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it was definitely. (laughs) Well, I want to thank you so much for doing the podcast. Yeah, you're so welcome, Jill. It was a pleasure as always. Um, Great to work with you. Yeah. Come check the show out. Yes. Come check up check out the show. I want to thank Renee Lai for joining me on this podcast. The exhibition In the Water You Become will run through February 19th. I would also like to thank Scott David Gordon for producing the show and a black drum set for letting us use their song, A Dangerous Drive. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.